It has been a minute. I missed you guys. I hope you enjoy this podcast where we tackle this whole defund the police movement and what has been one year into it, the repercussions of these calls for defund the police. And of course, you know, I'm going to throw some scripture in there and give you some context. So let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Hello. Okay. It has really been a minute. It has really been a minute since I last sent y'all a podcast And I apologize, I can tell you all my excuses about baseball and softball tournaments and family in town for nine days and all those things, but I won't bore you with excuses. I am back, there is so much, there is always so much to talk about and of course I think that's always my hardest My hardest thing is to narrow in on what on earth is the one thing I want to offer perspective or commentary or my opinion, let's be honest. That's what we're doing here. Y'all are listening to just my crazy thoughts. So hopefully they're useful. Hopefully they're thought-provoking. Hopefully they give you a little laugh or a little gut check or whatever it would be. Um, But today I just, actually for the last couple of days, it's been heavy on my heart, this defund the police movement, this this new garbage heap that it has been taking over the country for the last year. And I am somebody who, if you would have asked me five years ago, three years ago about my thoughts on police, I would have been able to give you some thoughtful criticism of where I think there is necessary reform and where I'm nervous about militarization of the police. And certainly those things are concern. And certainly there are people in the police force that are bad apples. There always will be in every, there are teachers who are bad apples, yet we hold up and respect teachers. There are professors who are bad apples. There are firefighters who are bad apples. There are business people who are bad apples. And then of course, there's all kinds of glorious heroes in all these professions as well. It is insane to me that we can say an entire profession is all bad or systematically racist or any of these other crazy ludicrous things that we're saying. I confirmed that specifically in California, which tends to be, you know, one of the loudest voices for the far left um, in terms of their policy and their um, protesting and the things that are coming out of California. I'm a Californian um, by birth, so um, I feel I can speak a little bit to the mentality in California, but you can't have a systematically racist profession, um, the, you know, I'm thinking of the CHP California Highway Patrol when the highest ranking official is African American. You can't say that all cops are racist or all cops are bad or all cops abuse authority or all cops are fill in the blank. When we see examples of that being 
incapable of being true, <laughs> that all cops, generalizations are dangerous and slippery slopes as it, as it is, right? But I just find that such an interesting fact that the highest ranking police officer in the CHP is African-American right now. How is it that we are, you know, looking at a systematically racist profession, if that's the case? And furthermore, similarly with Barack Obama being evidence of a America is not systematically racist when the highest election numbers that we know were maybe honest. We can't even I won't even begin to say that Biden has the um, highest election numbers in history because we all know that's a very hilarious joke on the American people that more people elected Joe Biden than Barack Obama. Not didn't happen. Not the truth. But let's just go back and say, I believe that more people in history of voting elected Barack Obama. I believe that that's true. And if that is true, myself being one of them. And people celebrated the fact that we had our first African-American president, right? This is evidence of, this is not a position that was somebody chose him to be our president. We collectively elected him as a nation to be our president. And there are interviews with Barack Obama pre his election that said, if I lose, it will not be because of race. It will be for some other reason, which I respected that. And of course, as soon as he's in office, then he begins the narrative of we are a systematically racist country, which is hilarious given the fact that he sits in the position of authority to even say such a thing, right? So this is ironic to me. Now, as I said at the beginning, if you would have asked me five or three, three or five years ago, what I thought about the police and where I thought there could be reform, I could have given you a really critical and honest answer about concerns I had and where we could have worked. And now, similarly to the way that this division in our country is forcing people over to a side and forcing people to defend things that they wouldn't have normally defended, for example, Trump, I am someone who is now feeling like I'm in a position where I have to defend Trump, which I was someone who was incredibly critical of Trump the, his entire presidency. I challenged my mom, who's a huge Trump fan, often about we don't have to hold this man up higher than he actually deserves to be held up. He is flawed. He is arrogant. He has a massive ego. There is tons of pride. These are his stumbling blocks. These are the reason he's so hated by the other side. These are flaws. These are not good traits. Now, did he do good things? Sure. And, and because of the divided nature of our country, I am now being forced to defend everything he's doing as opposed to being able to stand and kind of be more critical. And this is happening. I don't like it. And I try to check myself all the time of like, you know what? I don't have to defend him. That's not what I'm here for. And that's not even what I want to do. The same is true for the police. I hate that I have to come stand in a position of defending the police as it stands. Because I do feel there are places where we can work and room to grow and reform that can be made and additional training. But I, as a Christian, it is my job to give grace. It is my job to um, not judge. It is my job to assume best intentions, right? Um, it is my job to pray, pray for the police officers and the victims of police brutality. That is my position. And Although I do do this podcast for all people of all walks of life and all faiths, I specifically find myself really being, 
you know, wanting to challenge the Christians, wanting to really push on people of faith because I'm like, I feel like we have got to be more positioned in truth and less blown around by the winds of culture. And I, again, I fall victim to this every day. I feel anger at people that don't deserve my anger because I know they hold a school of thought that I disagree with. I I am completely flawed and absolutely walking in sin and very grateful for the forgiveness and the mercy of my Father in heaven for sure. And I am working it out. I am working my salvation out for sure. But I want to push on you guys a little bit here because this defund the police has been such a a destructive force. And I, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine that the people who originally started yelling to fund the police or making signs to fund the police or protesting the police, um, I don't know how they couldn't have foreseen the results that are now playing out. Because to me, it's so obvious that when you defund the police, the very people you think you're trying to stand up and defend are the very people who fall victim to the violence that comes when police are absent It's just hard for me to think that we didn't foresee this and that we didn't know. And I do believe a lot of people have been caught up in the emotional rhetoric of being really angry at police for the things that the media and social media have told you to be angry about. The news bites, the specific hand-picked and highly censored narratives that have been put in front of you, the just to make you emotional, to make you irrational, to make you angry, to make you rageful. This is intentional, and every time body cam footage comes out, I watch it. Every time there's a story, I watch it, and then I I pause, and I try not to jump to conclusions. As we saw, and we're here in the wake of the sentencing of Derek Chauvin, the police officer, former police officer, who is was convicted of the murder of um, George Floyd. As we, we stare at this sentence that he just received... I have to say that as we watched that trial unfold, as we saw what happened, as we saw the nuances of that case and the the additional information that was not readily available to us in that original cell phone footage that sent our country into a spiral that we have not yet come out of, the seven-minute video that sent our country off the deep end of this racial conversation last summer, As we have now seen the extended body cam footage of that, maybe you haven't, it's available. As we saw the nuances and the witnesses and the the, um, disruption of the jury and all of the complications, it became not so black and white. It became not so clear what exactly happened or what could have happened or what did happen or what was it even about race? Because I'll be honest, if you go back and look, that trial wasn't about race. The fallout of the video was 1000% about race. That trial was not about race. That trial, there was not anything that suggested that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd because he was a black man. There was nothing that was put forth. It wasn't even a part of the trial. And yet that's what, that was like the pivot. That was the emotional video that we needed. Ignore the rest of any other nuances of this situation. We're going to go and burn down our country, and call for defunding the police, and who is falling victim to the police being absent in our larger cities? Who? I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear that is primarily African Americans that are suffering at the hands of the violence that is left in the wake of police being defunded in inner cities 
and in de- democratic strongholds. That's where primarily the, the budget is being cut, right? It's not happening in rural Republican areas. It's happening primarily with this far left agenda. And the victims are the very people we're supposed to be standing up in defense of. I'm sure you guys have heard this crime data year over year. So this is year over year data. Atlanta, homicide is up 58%. Shootings are up 40%. This is year over year in Atlanta, Georgia. New York City, homicides are up 13%. Shootings are up 64% in one year's time. Portland, gotta love Portland. They've been leading the forefront, leading the charge, rather, in this defund the police movement. Homicides are up 533% in Portland. Shootings up 126%. Los Angeles, homicides are up 22%. Shootings up 51%. Philadelphia, homicides up 37%. Shootings up 27%. One year's time with this cry for defund the police in one year's time. Now, do you know how I know things are cherry-picked? and put in front of us because I had to tell my girlfriend whose husband is a police officer, did you hear last week about the cop in Florida who was shot in the face while stopping a African-American man? Um, I believe he had a warrant. As the man is getting out of his car, he shoots the police officer in the face. A couple of months back, there was very graphic um, body camera, or I I guess it was dash camera, footage that came out of a police officer being gunned down by an assault rifle on the side of the road during a traffic stop um, in Texas. I believe that's where that one was. These were not videos that were widely distributed. And my girlfriend, whose husband is a police officer, did not know this happened. I said, oh yeah, I watched the, the body cam footage and I sent it over to her. And if you go on to the suspect's because of course the the man got away, he ran away because there was one police officer trying to stop this this man and he shot him in the face, ran away. The police officer is in critical condition, but they think he'll survive. Praise God. This man ran away and while he was on the run, if you would go to his Facebook page, which my husband and I did, you will see how cheered on this man was for shooting a police officer in the face for zero reason cheered on, held up as a hero, prayers for you, prayers for you. We stand with you. Lots of fists. The fist emoji. This is the state of our divided nation under the call of defund the police. And the argument for why this is happening, because of course, why why does the Biden administration say that crime is up astronomically 533% homicides up in Portland, 533% over one year, over one year's time. How do you explain that? What's the reason? Of course, their answer is more guns went out in 2020. I got to tell you the, the people I know who bought the guns in 2020 personally, this is anecdotal, were my left friends <laughs> who went out and bought guns in 2020 in the midst of the rioting, in the midst of the defund the police, in the midst of them recognizing in the cities they're feeling less safe. And so they went and bought guns. So I find that ironic and yet it's anecdotal. I have no statistics to back that one up, but just kind of funny, fun fact. So the Biden administration says it's because more guns are out there that therefore homicides and shootings are up. Well, why is rape up? 
Why is theft up? Why are gunless crimes through the roof in these inner cities? It's not the guns. That is an easy an easy emotional argument that people are going to pick up and be like, oh yeah, also we hate guns. We are so easily manipulated, y'all. Our emotions are so easily pushed. The buttons are pushed and we respond and now we're conditioned to do it. You know how I know? Because there was a, a release, a police, a police statement released out of, I believe it was Portland just a couple of days ago that I read where there was a police involved shooting and all that they released, the first thing that they put out, the, the police department in Portland was, it is a white male. The victim is a white male. Now, why on earth do you think that's the first and most important piece of information that the police would want to get out to the public? Because we are conditioned to react in a certain way. It might as well have said, the victim is a white male. Please, Lord, do not burn down the city. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the subtext to a press release like that is... We're not, you're not supposed to care about this one, so please, everybody, stay home. We'll tell you when to care. We'll tell you when to respond. We'll push your button when we need you to go do the thing we've conditioned you to do, which is protest, be in the street, hate the police, hate the police, hate the police. Insanity. The rule of law is what makes this country different. The purpose of the Constitution is law, the premise of our country, the, the jumping off point, if you will, is that we will be a country governed not by a king, not by a dictator, but by agreed upon laws, agreed upon rules of engagement. We are a country established on laws. That's what makes us different. That's the point of our constitution. That is the point of our Supreme Court of the United States, our SCOTUS, is to uphold the rule of law, is to interpret the Constitution as it applies to the laws and protecting our rights, not as mob rule, not as majority rule, but as individuals. That is the point. That is what makes us different. That is what separates us. As soon as we are crying for defund the police, we are crying for the very disruption of our country. And don't you think that's exactly what they intend when they introduce a narrative like defund the police? Who, who started the defund the police? It was largely started by BLM Incorporated. If you go to their website, it is a political organization. It is not a welfare organization. It is not a nonprofit that is out there trying to make the lives of black of black people better. That's not what their, their purpose is. It's not their mission statement. It's nowhere on their website, nor is any of their funding going to that purpose. It is a political organization designed to create an emotional response in us, and it has gained outrageous momentum. And they, through their own mouth, the founders, say they are trained Marxists. Marxism is the goal is to destruct all norms, all cultural norms in this country to tear it down and rebuild it in its image, <laughs> which is anti-God, anti-American. We are a colony. There is no such thing as a nation. Racism, racism, racism. Division, division, division. This is the goal. Destruction is the goal of Marxism. This is the goal of the defund the police movement. If we can attack and erode the very 
premise, the very principles, the very foundation of what our country was based on and what made it different, then they win and we're playing into it. We are playing into it, you guys. I want to push back on you and I want to push back specifically on believers in this because I know a lot of Christians who have fallen into this rhetoric, who have fallen into the emotional responses, the the mainstream narrative, you know, chanting defund the police. And actually, I've had conversations with people in my life who actually who would tell you they are Marxists. Yes, I have people in my life that say this. And they say all police are racist. And I asked, do you know any police? No, they, of course they don't. Of course they don't know any, any police officers. They're, this is a narrative that's coming out of their mouth. I do know police officers. And if you do, maybe you know great ones. Maybe you know bad ones. I know some great ones. Great humans. Great humans. These are my police officer friends. So I do have a personal, um, I don't want to say offense because I feel like that's not the right word to use, but I do have a, a personal a personal hurt, a personal injury to this to this narrative of defund the police. It, it I'm they're leaving the police force. They're wanting to abandon their positions. A lot of these guys, the reason they got into the police force was because they're caring. Same reason that teachers get into the teaching profession. Oftentimes police officers, not all, but oftentimes police officers get into this profession because they want to make a difference, because they want to feel like their lives matter, because they want to do something good for their neighbor, for their family. And the police officers, I know that's exactly why they're there. And now they're getting out of this profession. I don't know anyone um, go 18 through 25 that's going into that profession right now. Why would they? Why would they? And you know what the result of this is? We are going to have bottom of the barrel police officers. We are going to have people who just want to be there for authority, who just like being on a power trip. That's who's going to be left because the respectable ones who are the great majority, the ones who have families, the ones who have wives, they're going to leave. They don't want to be there. They're being harassed. They're not appreciated. It is so sad to me to see what is happening. Now, again, I have to say, are all police good? No, of course not. There are always bad apples in every profession. I am in network marketing. Do you, do you think that there's a bad apple or two in network marketing that I've had to combat? I'm not a bad apple. I have run my business for 12 years with all kinds of integrity. I like to think I've made a huge difference in thousands of people's lives, but I recognize that there are bad apples in my industry and it reflects poorly on me. I understand that. I have to combat that. But can you even imagine? I don't put my life on the line for my profession. I don't fear that the bad apples that are reflecting poorly on me might cost me my life. I don't fear that. But a police officer does. When they go to work, they fear that the bad apples in their profession reflect, reflect so poorly on them that when they pull someone over, they might get shot in the face for no reason. And no one will even know it happened. It will not be in the media. It will just be a thing that happened that very few people know about because it disrupts the narrative. We do not want anyone to feel bad for or that the police are in any way good. We don't want that. The media is our enemy, you guys. It truly is the enemy of everything we hold dear. Whether you are, and I've said this before, 
even if you are someone who hates the country, if you are someone who would love to see communism come and take over this country, you have the right and the privilege of having that thought in this country because of the nature of how our country was founded, that that right is protected and I will protect it. If you want to be a communist, I don't like it. I don't like it and I see you as a threat to my family and my kids' future, but I will protect your right to have that opinion. I will. That's the beautiful thing about this country is I would love to see us go back to the time where ideas win, not emotion and feelings, but the best ideas, the most articulate arguments, the people who are willing to stand boldly for their thoughts and defend them down to their principles. That's what I would like to see win again. I hate that cancel culture. Do you know that no one since I've started this podcast has sent me any hate mail or anything? Praise God. And please don't, I'm not inviting it by any stretch. But I'm, do you know why I suspect that is? Because it is way more difficult to send me a private email where I'm going to be able to respond to you and we're going to have to engage in an intellectual conversation than it is to just block me or write something nasty in in a public Facebook page where you know people who agree with you are going to come and fight that battle for you. That's, That's why I suspect I haven't gotten any hate mail or what have you because you're going to have to just deal with me. No one's going to come to your rescue. No one's going to fight your fight for you. No one's going to argue your point for you. You're going to have to engage me in an intellectual and kind, respectful debate. And that's more intimidating. We've left that in the dust. That's not how we do it anymore. We post nasty things on social media. Our friends who agree with us post more nasty things. And then we block and we cancel and we kick them off social media, and Twitter bans them, and YouTube deletes them, and we don't have to think about the ideas behind the statements. We don't have to articulate our arguments. We don't have to be true intellectuals and engage in debate that is respectful. We don't have to do that anymore. It's gone. So let's, as I'm wrapping this up, Let's look through the lens of scripture as I like to do because I was reminded as I was thinking about this defund the police movement, like what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? And I'm not a Bible scholar. I've said this. I don't know if I've said that before, but spoiler alert, not a Bible scholar. But I do read the Bible every day. I do pray. I believe in Jesus and I am surrendered to him as my Lord. So I like to think I have some... some um connection to guidance from Holy Spirit. I was reminded when I was thinking about this of my homeschool podcast, as a matter of fact, and I cited Romans 13.1 as, um, or Romans 13.1 through, I don't know, four or five. I cited this as the example in the Bible where government is defined, right? Where we have a clear picture of what God's intention was with government? What was the role that government was meant to play biblically through scripture in God's mind and God's heart and eyes? Because now government has become so huge and, and overarching. And But I went back because of that homeschool podcast, I was reminded that that same scripture actually gives us the definition. So I'm going to read it to you. Romans, starting at, Romans 13, starting at verse one, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So, 
Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. You guys, if this is not a description, a specific description of the role of police and how they are appointed by God, they are in positions of authority that have been placed there by God. And it says, for what purpose? To punish those who are doing wrong. This is the purpose of government. This is where we say government authorities. We're specifically defining by this verse, police, in my opinion. We're talking about the authorities on from the government who are punishing wrongdoing. Who is that? Who would that be? That is the... That is the reason government was instituted by God. Governing authorities positioned by God was to punish wrongdoing. If you are not doing wrong, you have nothing to fear. You do not need to fear these government authorities. Submit to these governing authorities. This is such a powerful scripture for me. It really gives such context to this whole argument. Again, it doesn't say that these governing authorities are flawless and perfect. It doesn't say that. These governing authorities are absolutely in need of God's grace and mercy and direction and salvation. 1,000%. All the more reason we should be witnessing to our police officers, our friends and our local community police officers. Absolutely, we should be witnessing to them and making sure that they know the Lord because then they're going to be guided by Holy Spirit. Certainly, if there's police officers out there denying and walking in rebellion to God, of course, they're going to be walking in sin in their life. Of course, it's going to happen, but it's not just police. It's you and me. It's all the people. It's everybody. We're a fallen race. We are going to be walking in sin. We owe grace and mercy and forgiveness, right? And we're called to submit to this authority, which is placed in its position by God. But to define that governing authorities were meant to punish wrongdoing, that's what they were meant to do originally. That's what they're doing now. So to abolish that is to, is to like spit in the face of the scripture. And it goes on in, in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14 says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the official he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And just another reference to the fact we're to submit to the authority and the authority is given by God to punish those who are doing wrong. I do not in any way say that what these police officers that have done, you know, these, you could argue that they've exercised too much authority, that there is police brutality. I am not here to defend that. That is, I'm not here to defend that. But we're excusing the fact that in each of these cases, there was wrongdoing, which is why there was an engagement with this governing authority. That's the point of the scripture. If you do wrong, you're going to be engaged 
with these governing authorities. That's their job. That's their purpose ordained by God. And if you're doing wrong, you're going to engage them. Now your job when you engage them is to submit to them. When you don't, there is punishing. There is punishing. So it's just interesting to look at this through the lens of scripture and to recognize that we do have a calling in this and it is not to be shouting defund the police. It is our great commission to be witnessing and sharing the gospel to everyone, including police, of course. But it is, according to this scripture, our job to submit to this authority, not to abolish it, and to recognize that its purpose is ordained by God to punish wrongdoing. That's its purpose. That's what they're doing. That's what they're trying to do imperfectly, of course. So I wanted to give you that perspective because it really rocked my world as I was just thinking over this whole thing. So I hope that that gave you a little perspective and I look forward to all the hate mail I'm going to get. See y'all later. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us position our hearts to submit to your authority and the authority that you have appointed here on earth. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that extend mercy, grace, and forgiveness to all people, victims, and police, that it would be indiscriminately given, and that we would recognize they're not perfect, no one is, we are not. And to eliminate this judgment, Lord, give us clarity and discernment as we examine this complicated and nuanced topic. In your son's name we pray. Amen.